0: Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. We've been talking about the book of John now for six months. I don't know if you have realized that, but it's been six months. And for all of those six months, we've been discussing the public ministry of, of Jesus. That's really what John has been covering. He's covering the public ministry of Jesus, right? And as he's covering the public ministry of Jesus, he is doing so in a manner to prove to us that Jesus is... Yes, God, but specifically, he's the the Son of God who became the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Now, but we haven't got to the second half of that. We haven't got to the fact that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? At this point, he's taken the first 12 chapters to convince us that Jesus is the Son of God. That He is Messiah. He is Yahweh incarnate who has come to the earth. And so He has given us overwhelming proof through works, through the things that Jesus did, but then also through His words. And as we've seen, Jesus claimed deity. Jesus claimed to be God incarnate and we're going to see that he intensifies that even more with his disciples because now for the next five chapters John takes this little hiatus if you would to give us five chapters of intimate time between Jesus and his disciples clearly two days ago I traveled down to Valdosta from here in order to do a memorial service for Ray, um, I—it sounds tacky—but the reality is that when you do this enough, you kind of get to know when someone's there. And so it was probably two months ago. I told Ray, I, "I'm." And when, in this section, it sounds awful, but I, I'm pretty pretty straight because you. You know. I mean, if I knew, prophetically, if I knew, God gave me a message that Donald was going to be in a car crash when he left here and he was going to die, I think I'd be pretty direct with him right now. You track? So, so I told Ray, I said, this is an act of God's grace in your life. I mean, you're dying of cancer. That doesn't seem like, like, wow, aren't you the really nice guy, you know? I'm dying and you're telling me this is an act of God's grace. I said, you could have died in a car crash and you never have a chance to do the things that you want to make sure you accomplish before you're dead. You have a chance to make things right with God if you need to. But you have the chance to tell your kids and your grandkids everything you want to tell them before you die. What's really important to you? What do you can communicate? That's what we're going to read in the next five chapters. We're going to take a couple months to do it. But over the next five chapters, do you get what Jesus is doing? He knows he's getting ready to die. And he doesn't have months now. He literally has one night. We're getting ready to do communion, the Lord's Supper. You know this was the night in which he was betrayed... And the next day, within 24 hours from this moment, he's going to be crucified. And so he's taking this last moment to share with his most intimate disciples. Now, I think there's probably more than just the 12 who were up in that upper room. But these are the 12 that he's he's going to talk to. And he's going to reveal to them More intimate things. This isn't just, I'm God. But as we're going to see, this is, I'm your teacher. I'm your Lord. I'm your example. I'm getting ready to leave. And what happens from here on out? Man's perspective. Okay? Not God's perspective. I get that. But I'm getting ready to leave. It's on you. It's on you. I shared this morning a little bit in our family time together that I think God allowed it all work out timing-wise that I wasn't here yesterday. I'm sorry, Saturday. Time's in my brain. Because sometimes it's easy to become dependent on one person. But we are the what? Body of Christ. Christ. It's not Bob's church. It's not the elders' church. It's Christ's church. I did it. I got it. And so, Jesus put us all together. And I understand that Jim talked a little bit about it on Friday night, but again, on Saturday morning, I believe, that he discussed the fact that within our body there are all different what? Types. And he put us here for a reason. But in the end... We all, we all comprise that body of Christ. And so I just want to ask you and challenge you right off the bat that if you knew that you were dying today, what would be the most important thing that you'd want to tell others? What's the most important thing that you want to tell your family? Is it about who your favorite football team has been and how many Super Bowls they won? Would it be about your favorite car and how fast it went? Or would it be, you know where you're going and you really love for them to be there too? That's what Jesus is getting ready to do. We're going to have just a portion of it today, clearly. Just the first 17 verses. But that's what he's going to talk about. He's going to talk about his love for them. And what he wants for them. And what he desires for them. And not just for them, but he knows, as as Chuck uh, shared in his morning watch, he's going to pray for us. Because those first 11 guys, I'm excluding Judas right now, if they didn't do their job, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about it. I get it. Jesus said, even if these people would stop, if they wouldn't praise me, the stones would cry out and pray. So, I mean, I get it. On God's side, it's God, God would make head happen, right? But, but I don't want to devoid myself of that. I think it's so easy for us to, to, to devoid ourselves. Say, well, it's God's job. Some water, some soil, but God gives the increase. And so I don't have to do anything, because God's going to what? He's going to get an increase. But God chooses to use man to do the work. So with with that, I want us to look at John 13, okay, and um, consider this, um, where we're going to begin is Jesus is going to reveal to them, and I have on your sermon note if you have it, servant leadership, but I, I wish I could have changed that before I printed it all, but I printed it all a while ago, that i just change it to biblical leadership because biblical or godly or true leadership is servant leadership. And so you're going to see in a moment the expression of true biblical godly leadership is being a servant. So it's kind of redundant. But it's, it's in there and Jesus isn't going to just teach them about it. He's going to what? He's going to live it. He's going to model it. And... So this is always a challenging passage to me, because I'm a very egocentric, self-centered, snobbish, you know, whatever person, dealing with sin just like everybody here is, and I can share that because I know you all share in my fate, you know? But I'm called, and we all are, to get over that, and to think of others. And yeah, anyways, so I'm going to read John 13, verses 1 to 17. And then we'll talk about it. Now, before the Feast of the Passover... Stop for a moment. I just want to share that because I'm not going to get into it. The timing of it, again. Again, I go back to that pamphlet, that little sheet that I handed out over the last couple of weeks with the timing of all that. Okay. So this is another one of these minute moments where you can kind of put some of the details together, the facts together. This was before the Feast of Passover. Okay. Which, again... We talked about it was feast of unleavened bread, feast of all put together. Okay, so not just the day. So before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come that he should depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In supper being ended, the devil having already. Put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said, "Oh Lord, not just my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said, he was bathed, needs only to wash his feet. But he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So, Jesus is getting ready to have his Passover dinner with the disciples they eat. We're going to participate in a few moments. They, they break the bread. They eat. They drink the four cups of blessing. In, in the midst of the, the fellowship, this all begins to happen. We're going to talk more about that in a second, but first I want to deal with the, the preliminaries of it, okay? The motivation for this leadership that we're going to see. It comes in verse 1. We told it right off the bat. Having what? What's it say about Jesus? Having loved his own, he loved them, what? To the end. What's exciting about this is that the the words for love there um, is having loved is an aorist participle. Okay? And then you have, he loved them to the end, an aorist verb. You say, okay, what does that mean to me? So I've shared this in the past, and so... I want you to think about it. A participle is a verbal adjective or a verbal noun. I love Greek, okay, from the perspective that, from my perspective, where's Justin? The participle is the blank of language for Greek, of the Greek language. It's the flower. It's what I always share. whenever I teach it. It's the flower of the Greek language. It's the beauty of it. I mean, it's just, it brings action. It brings... Just drama. It's just wonderful. And so the participle has to be read from the perspective of the leading verb. Okay, The verb is he loved them. He loved them. So the participle is having loved his own. But you have to do it from the perspective of the the leading verb. Well, the leading verb was an aorist. It's past tense. He loved them. But the participle is an aorist, past tense. If it was a present tense, then it would still be in the past, but it would be happening at the same time that he loved them to the end. Make sense? But his having loved them to the end is precipitated upon the fact that he already what? He was loving them. The entire time he's been loving them. And having loved them, again, it's the word agapao. He's not selfishly loving them. He's not loving them like brothers, but he's selflessly loving them, a committed love. And having loved them, he loves them to the very completion, to their very perfection, to the very maturation of his hour, to the end. And we're not going to go there, but think about it. For God so loved the what? World. So we're talking about how he loved his own, but the fact is that Jesus loved even the world to the very end. Father, finish it out, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who is he talking about? Not his disciples? The ones who were? Crucifying him, mocking him, spitting on him, scoffing at him. Having loved his own, he loved them to the very end. It's going to come in sharp contrast as we talk about this passage a little bit more. So his motivation is, is love. The foundation, though, then of his servant leadership is so not just love, but it's knowledge. Okay. Now, again, remember I've talked about this this concept of. Um, he's not just talking to the Jews, which we see a lot of that, but he's also, John is also dealing with Gnosticism, okay? And Gnosticism has this this inner knowledge. And and it has a lot of Christian terminology, okay? Which made it very appealing in that day, and that's why Gnosticism was kind of creeping in, okay? Because the reality is, we're going to see when we get to John 17, that this is life eternal, that they may know Gnosco know, intimately, relationally, know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So there is some intimate mystery knowledge that you have to have in order to be saved. But it's open to everybody. That's where Gnosticism is, it goes away. Because you've you got to have this, get into this little core, and we can tell you what it is. God wants everybody to know it. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It's not hidden. It's not secret. Does it make sense? And so, but Jesus loved them to the end knowing three things. The first thing he knew was his dispensation from God. That's a big word. He knew his authority and stewardship came from God. He was sent by God. So it says in, in there, Verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. In Matthew 28, Jesus declares, all authority has been given unto me. Now, as I meditate on and I ruminate on the, the Godhead in the triunity, this is that other side of that thing that just drives me bonkers. You know, because the Father, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Father is above the Son who is... As we're going to see above the Holy Spirit, there is this um, hierarchical system within the Godhead, and yet they are equal. <laughs> they're one and the, not just equal, they're one and the same. And yet the expressions of the Godhead, there is still some hierarchical. So, so the Father put all things into the Son's hands. The Father gave the Son. A job to accomplish. Do you track that? Jesus, it sounds weird because he's God, I get it, but he had a stewardship. He had a stewardship from the Father. At any moment, and I can't comprehend this because it doesn't make sense to me, he could bail out. In the garden, he cries out, Father, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me, well, he came into the world knowing he was going to drink this cup. And yet on the flesh side, he's dealing with it. He, 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 nothing was held back from him. Hebrews tells us he was tempted, he was tried, he was troubled in every way as we are, yet without sin. He had the anguish. So he had this dispensation from God. He was given this authority... And he knew it. And he was given this task, stewardship, and he knew it. Do you understand that you also have that? John chapter 20, we'll get there in a few weeks or months or whatever. But in John 20, Jesus says to his disciples in the upper room after the resurrection, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. You ain't got an out. Jesus is my example in every way. And so he submitted to the Father just as I am supposed to submit to the Father and to him. He was given a task. He performed it. But there were two other things that he knew. What does it say right after that? He knew that the Father had given all things into his hands, and then what's the second thing it says? And that he what? Read the passages there. I'm not telling you. You've got to come up with it. Say it again. He was come from God. He knew his origination. He knew where he came from. And what's the last thing? It says right after it. And that what? He was going to God. (laughs) He knew his destination. Do you know your destination? Do you know your origination? We say yes. But we act differently sometimes. Jesus knew he came from the Father. And he knew that he was going back to the Father. In a sense, this sounds weird, but he was given a stewardship... The father sent him, and he was going to go back to the father. And in my brain, he's going to give an account to the father for everything he did. Now, I get it. That's from the man's side, and it's kind of hard. How do you deal with that? But that's the idea. He knew three things. He knew the father had commissioned him. He knew the father had sent him, and he knew he was going back to the father. So bring that into just a a purely uh, regal, if you would, perspective, monarchy. Donald is my father. King Donald. Well, actually, I can, th- I can pick, because, John, you're sitting here, okay? So get rid of me, put you in. I got King Donald, and I got his son, Jonathan. Is your full name Jonathan? It is. It is. And Donald, ki- the king, says to... It means the gift of God, gift of Jehovah, gift of Yahweh. So Donald, the king, says to Jonathan, his son, Son, I want you to go to the land over there, and I want you to give them the message that one day they're going to be brought into, back into my land and they're giving me help to me for everything they've done. But I want them to know that I love them. And I want them to know that I know that they can't keep up with all the demands that I've made. And so, son, while you're there, I'm going to let them kill you. I want you to die for their sins. I, because it has to be a perfect sacrifice. And we are the only ones who can accomplish that task. So, son, gift of God, great name for this moment, right? Go and become my gift. Yes, Father, I agree. I am one in your will and in your purpose. And he goes willingly, he gives him the message both of condemnation and of salvation. And what did the people do? Exactly what the wise King Donald knew, that the people would reject him, and they would kill him, and he would become the atoning sacrifice for those people. He knew those things. I wonder how much life would change for us individually if we really focused on the fact that God sent me. That I'm here on earth, not randomly. Because you think evolutionary thoughts all the time. If you think you're only here randomly, you're thinking evolutionary. Psalm 139 tells me that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And that the Father knit me together in my mother's womb, and that he made me with the quirks that you think you don't like. Ha, ha, ha. Anyways <laughs> I'm just fulfilling God's purpose. <laughs> Anyways, but do you get it? God made me. so I can be used by him in some manner. He made me have a mathematical mind and to spin over the entirety of the Trinity and eternity and all that kind of stuff so I could talk about that and make people think about it. Sometimes I wish I didn't think like that. I joke. Sometimes I wish I wasn't a pastor. Sometimes I wish I didn't think like I thought. I wish I could just walk around like... You know, and just enjoy, you know, just enjoy life. I don't really care. And you know what I'm saying? I mean, think about it. There's, a, there's that part where we want to be just fat, dumb, and happy, you know, and just kind of in, like, in our own fleshly way. But there's soberness that comes when I realize who I am in Christ. And that I may not make it home today, I may not make it out of this chapel today. And I want, I yearn to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I have blown it so many times. Many of you know it, but you're still here. (laughs) What is it that you ultimately are looking forward to Jim didn't share it a whole lot in that time management side. But that ultimately is going to be the ultimate goal with how you're going to determine your time and how you're going to determine your monies. God has given you time, talents, and treasure. And they all belong to him. If you really knew that today was the day, are you going with a lot of regrets? then you need to change the way you think and change the way you act. Life has to be different from this moment on. You've got to be more committed. So he goes on. The expression then of his servant leadership clearly is servanthood, right? So what happens? In the, and I'm gonna, we're going to come back, but Jesus takes the towel. I'm going to skip what's going on I'm going to talk about what Jesus did and I'm going to come back to more of a context of what's happening but Jesus humbles himself okay in the midst of the of the dinner okay and we'll talk more of what's really going on at the moment because there's a whole lot more going on than what John reveals to us okay and it's really kind of fun um, but Jesus gets up he takes off his outer garment he puts on a towel he dresses like a what a servant he humbles himself right because he's who? He's God. Okay? But on the earth, who is he? I understand he's still God, but give me a title. Well, yeah, Messiah. We'll go Messiah. Okay? There's, we understand that hindsight being 2020, we're looking back with our Christian theology and we're, we're, we're putting thought processes in there. Okay? But think, think in the moment, in that, in that time, who is he? He's Messiah. These guys get it. Okay? And they get the fact, probably Son of God. They, you know, not quite sure how that plays out. Makes sense. But clearly, He's the Lord, right? And while things are going on, and we'll talk about those in a moment, Jesus kind of slides up. He takes off his outer garment, humbling himself. Humbling himself. He takes off his royal vestures. Now, I understand He didn't really have those, but you get what I'm saying. He takes off His royal vestures. And he dons the servant's towel. And then he goes and he what? He kneels to wash his disciples' feet. I was almost going to bring a basin and a, and a towel and, you know, see if anybody would balk at me. And, um, because then I could call you Peter. Anyways. <laughs> um,. And it hit me as I read it this morning. This is funny how things hit you. I used to think Peter was the first guy. But as I read it again this morning, I realized Peter wasn't the first guy. Because that's what it says. It says that he's he's washing, and then he came to Peter. So he's already washed a couple other people's feet before he comes to Peter. So, but he has humility. So Philippians chapter 2 um, Chuck read that again this morning, so I don't really want to spend a lot of time on it. But he was in the very morphe, the very nature, God. It's who he was in his core. He was God, and he didn't have to consider it robbery to be equal to God, because he was God. And he made himself of no reputation, and took upon himself the form of a servant, bond servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, Even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. Jesus laid aside, if you would, his deity. to serve me he took off his royal vestures to become the least of the servants in the palace do you get it it's the guy who's going to wash everybody's stinky feet as they walk in that's what you aspire to in life I wanna be the foot washer. I mean if you lived in that domain, it probably wasn't the thing that you wanted to be. You might have wanted to be the royal cupbearer. You know, as close to the what? King as you could get. But you don't want to be the guys on groveling on the ground that probably some people are gonna be splashing water at you or whatever and looking down on you, dog, you know, and washing my feet. Yeah, wash my feet. Wash it good, baby, you know. But that's who Jesus became. But in doing that, he had to then have a commitment. There had to be a commitment that was made. A commitment first to um, have a per- perception. Okay, He had to perceive their needs. Right, He had to see that there was a what? A need. In order for me to see your need, that means I have to be what? Say again. I got to look at people i got to pay attention to you. i I got I mean, I to look at you. So that's the beginning part of Philippians chapter 2. Before it says, let this mind be in you, right? Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others, what? Better than themselves. You guys are more valuable than I am. And look not every man on his own things, but also on the things of others. Again, as Chuck said, it doesn't mean that I'm not worrying about taking care of me or whatever, but it means that you are more valuable than me and your needs are more important than my needs. I like doing those three um, loves, the eros, philo, agapao, as um, eros is selfish love. I love pepperoni pizza. But now that I'm casting intolerant, well, let's use donuts because I can get around the, the pepperoni pizza with being cooked cheese. I loved donuts until a few years ago when I over, overdosed on a donut. It was one, one donut. It was one sour cream dunker, baby. And it started with just a little wedge because the temptation was there. I can't believe, they don't like them. They bring them into my house. I love them sitting on the counter. It's like putting a bear can in front of an alcoholic. Anyways, and so just a little slice. A little slice led to another slice, led to another slice, which led to an asthmatic attack through the entire night for two nights. I don't know if you, for people who were here, I didn't come that Wednesday night. That was a Tuesday night. I was up all night, having a hard time breathing, um, just couldn't do it. Just, it was, but all night, what kept running through my brain was the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Because it was sin unto me. And I knew it. I knew it. I shouldn't have it. I was allergic to it. But I wanted it. And God allowed me to experience the consequences of my decisions. I don't love donuts anymore. I despise donuts. Because they're mean to me. They're sin. They're evil. They're wicked. And I can't believe you guys participate in those things. Anyways. No, actually, I really wish that God would take it away so I could eat donuts. Anyways. So... But I used to love them. But I erost them. I erost them. But now that they don't please me, that they actually work against me, I don't what erost them anymore. Phileo. there's only enough porridge f- for the two of us. So here, let me share, because I know that you're hungry and I want you to eat. But now we get to agapao, right? There's only enough porridge for one of us. I'm praying for you, brother. I hope you find some. <laughs> How many times, think about it, how many times do you hear of a need from somebody and you could meet the need if you took the shirt off your back using the an illustrate, biblical illustration and give it to them. But that would mean that you were what? You, you were shirtless. There was only enough food, but you could, you could feed them. But that would mean that you wouldn't eat. Marcia. No, agapao. Phileo is if I got, if you need a shirt and I got one in my closet, it's yours. Agapao is I don't have a shirt in my closet to give you. I have a shirt on my back. And I will give it to you. Yes. Because you're more important than me. And your needs more important than mine. That gets us a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? I want you to have not just the apple pie. That's easy. You know? Well, you can have the dessert. Why aren't I magnanimous? I'm going to eat another chicken patty. (laughs) You know. But boiled down, there's only enough food for one or the other of us. Who gets it? Survival of the fittest, baby. If you're faster than I am. You know how it is when you're getting away from the the bear, right? You squeeze the honey over your partner and you take off. (laughs) No, no, don't do that. Anyways, so Jesus had to perceive their need and then he had to prepare the supplies. He saw the need. Their feet needed washed. Just their feet. Because their feet would be dirty because they didn't have asphalt roads. They had dirt roads. But then he... He had to make some preparations. He had to actually get involved. He had to get up off his seat. He had to take off his royal robes, if you would. He had to prepare the basin and the towel. And then he had to go do it. And that's the last of those Ps, and that is the performance of it. Now, it was a dirty task. But can I make it even further for you? Who's sitting around the table? Tell me who's sitting around the table. The disciples. The disciples. Again? His betrayer. His betrayer sitting there. We're never told Judas left. Judas is there. Satan has already put it in his heart to betray him. Do you think Jesus knew it? Of course he knew it. But we're not told that he washed everybody's feet except for Judas' feet. Don't you wonder if he started with Judas? How uncomfortable would that have made you if you were the betrayer? And now he's washing your feet. Would you wash your betrayer's feet? Or would you be raining down the Davidic um, psalms of, what's the, the big term in prec- or Say again. Say it again. Somebody knows that word, come on. Per- per- Imprecation? I don't know. Anyways, you got what I'm talking about. You know those psalms that David did, where he's just calling for God to make them childless and you know all this kind of stuff. You know, that's kind of the way we think, and we justify ourselves in those psalms. But again, Jesus is on the cross saying, "What, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." But I want to talk a little bit about this context because the application of this. Um, of the servant leadership so um, you can keep your finger in John 13 we're, we're going to come back to that quickly um, but look go to turn Luke 22 Luke 22 and I want to read 17 verses of it because I want you to, to, to get full understanding of what's happening in John 13 Okay, beginning of verse 14, when the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him, then he said to them with fervent desire, or desirous desire is really what it would say, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. Do you think he desired it? Yeah, Having loved his own, he loved them what? To the end. So this, Luke's using the term of a passion here. Okay. So, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you." But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly, the Son of Man goes out, goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed! Then they began to question among themselves, which of them it was who would do this thing. It kind of makes sense, right? I mean, Jesus said, one of you guys are going to betray me. Woe to you, who does it? I mean, if I said that, and you knew that I was kind of on the, I've already proven, you know, I saw Nathaniel underneath a fig tree, and I knew the people's thoughts and all this kind of stuff, and you kind of knew that I knew, right? And I said to you, look, guys, I know that one of you got a knife in my back. And before I leave this camp, one of you are going to assassinate me. what would you all start doing? Start looking around, wouldn't you? I mean, you're probably thinking, and you're not calling them out? <laughs> I mean, that's my first thought. You're not calling them out? <laughs> you're letting it go? What's wrong with you? What kind of leader are you? You're going to you're gonna, you're gonna let them kill you? <laughs> you're going to leave me, man. No, no, we already saying that. I will not leave you orphans. (laughs) I will come to you. Right? So, but your second thought is, who is it? Would it be even in your thought, could it be me? Is he talking about me? Because think about it. Are there times when you really struggle in your relationship with God? Sins entered in, and Satan is there to, to, to tempt you and try you and, and cause you to doubt and ask yourself, how could you be a believer? How could you even call yourself a Christ follower and think the way you do, to act the way you do, to talk the way you do? Do you think Jesus would do that? It makes it even better when other people <laughs> join in with Satan and, and ask you the same questions. You know, how could a believer do that? I'm gonna do that. I've challenged my kids with that. And i not saying it was right, just saying, I get that. And so you start to wonder, what, could it be me? But then you say, what? N- no, I couldn't miss right. It. It's not me. I know. I mean, I know that I know that I know. And so it's got to be somebody else. And now all of a sudden you're playing the game of Clue. <laughs> He's already told us it's going to be with a knife and it's going to be on the camps. So and all I got to do is figure out to win this game, who it is. So, that's where we're at in Luke 22, right? So, Jesus says that one of you is going to betray me. Verse 23, Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do such a thing. Keep going. Now, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. The <laughs> Don't you love this? And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as one who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? When do you think he said that? While he's washing their feet. My supposition to you is, that John chapter 13 can be fit between verse 24 and 25. 24 states, Now there was also dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And then he said to them, Insert John 13 between those two verses. Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And instantly, it's the the, the positive, negative, negative, conversation, but it's on a positive side because they're trying to say, which one of them would be it can't be me, would it be me all you know. but instantly it goes from it couldn't be me because or, or from the oh I hope it's not me to the it couldn't be me because and then all of a sudden it goes from this oh I can't believe this to well of course it couldn't be me because I'm Peter I'm the one who stepped out of the boat or James and John are saying, well, he took us up to the mountain of transfiguration with him. I mean, it couldn't be us. I mean, he revealed his glory to us. You understand? Know what i saying? I mean, and I don't know what the other. One. Philip's saying, well, it couldn't be me. Remember, all the Gentiles are coming to me because they wanted to see Jesus. So clearly everybody understands that I'm this, this. John, you may be the disciple that Jesus loved, but I'm telling you, I am tight with him. Okay. And I don't know how they're talking, but I could just see them talking. I can see them just like we would banter. Really meaning it? I see these guys bantering. And they're bantering so much, trying to decide who the greatest is, that they don't even notice that Jesus gets up, walks over away, probably the basin the tower over in the corner by the door. That's where it's at. The table's there. They're probably in a big square, right? And And they would... I'll come up here they would be leaning like this to eat. They weren't sitting at a table like we are, right? So who was John? He's leaning on Jesus' breast. How does he miss the fact that he gets up? <clears throat> you know, <laughs> dominoes just kind of go down, right? <clears throat> but they're so intense, they're not leaning anymore. They're <laughs> leaning in. I don't know. I mean, I can't prove it, but that's, I'm just thinking what's going on here, right? And they don't even notice that Jesus gets up. He walks over, takes off his royal vestures, whatever. Takes off his outer garment. He's got to lay it down. I and mean, the guy is semi-nudie-tootie now, right? I mean, you know, he's got, he's got a bare chest and all this kind of stuff. I know, it doesn't want to think of Jesus that way. Okay? But that's where he is. A servant... A slave. They didn't dress him real good. And he takes the towel. The servant's towel. Whatever that looked like. Don't think like our towels today. Okay? Whatever that looks like. He puts it on. He grabs the water. And then he just walks over to the table. Can you imagine how the conversation just kind of stops as all of a sudden... You know, the other guys, they're not even probably noticing it, you know, but he starts washing Judas's, James, whoever's feet, right? And then maybe Peter's the second or third or fourth one or whatever. He's, I get the feeling he's in the midst of it. I mean, he's really the, the guy. I love Peter. He's so much like me, right? And so he finally gets to Peter. I'm going to pick on you, Andrew, and you become Peter, right? He gets to Peter, right? And Peter looks down at him and goes, oh Lord, what are you doing? Clearly, I'm washing your feet. (laughs) I mean, I just washed two or three others, and now I'm washing yours. You'll never, think about this, you'll never wash my feet. That's pretty strong words, isn't it? Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part of me. Ooh, there's no favoritism with Jesus, is there? Peter went up on the mountain. I could just almost see him playing the thing. I walked out in the water. I, 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 Don't you wonder we're in the midst of all this too? Jesus tells him, Peter, you're going to deny me three times tonight. But he washes his feet. In the midst of this argument of who is the greatest. So ask yourself, do you tend to, we don't get into these arguments because we're spiritual. But do you get into them in your own brain? Is it easy to look at other people in the body and to try to assess where you are in your spirituality? You're more spiritual than that person, so you're good. Because you're not the most unspiritual one. I'm spiritual because I'm more spiritual than that person. I appreciate Justin's um, statement about careful of even quiet times that they become judgmental or whatever. We kind of chuckle about it, but I I appreciate it because we can become what? Prideful. in even quiet time. I do quiet time three times a day. Well, you know what I'm saying? You know, I become the Pharisee. You know, talking about how good I am. That's these guys. These were the ones who were intimate with him. And Jesus says, you guys have missed it. I've been with you for two and a half, three years, and you've missed it. You're acting, and you're thinking, and you're talking like the world. James chapter 3, the end of it, talks about worldly wisdom versus heavenly wisdom. These guys were revealing worldly wisdom. It was all about who? Them. So Jesus then, in this application then, gives them the challenge. Verses 14 to 17, back in John 13. He says to them, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you a what? An example that you should do as I have done to you. Sadly, do you know that there are um, denominations... Who practice foot washing? <laughs> I don't have a problem with that by itself, but it's almost like a spiritual act, and they missed the whole intent of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus said, "I've served you. Not that I washed your feet, and so you need to go wash your feet. And they feel like they fulfill this, what Jesus states, because they, all they got to do is wash. And a lot of those places that do that, and I'm not picking, I, I'm not picking. They wash a toe. They put water on a big toe. And they fulfilled it. I, again, I'm not mocking. I, I, I am, but I'm not. I am, but I'm not. If you're going to do it, what? Do it! Go between the toes. Wash the feet. If you're going to wash the feet, wash the feet. Do it! If you think that this is an ordinance like communion is an ordinance and baptism is an ordinance. I mean, think about it. I think immersion. Jesus gave us the, the, the command to be immersed. Well, what does it mean? get them under the water and hold them there for five minutes no anyways (laughs) but it doesn't mean I'm going to go how many of you guys have been in the army or military military as a whole okay okay it used to be that push-ups were a main part of the PT test right so David one two three four am I right Zero zero zero, 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 if you can't see, you gotta look okay, so i'm 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 my 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 elbows are bending, dude, what's your problem? You can't see this, but I'm not going what I gotta come down, and I gotta cause my the upper arms to be parallel to the ground. that is one, two, you get it, but we like to do the other, one, two, three, four, five, I can I can do hundreds of those things oh my. My feet were back in my day, we did that wasn't a big deal. See they changed it even more. You had your feet together, really? Yeah, that's fun. okay, I'll tip over. anyways <laughs> Amen, brother especially, especially especially the guys who worked in the computer shop. I mean, I ran twice a year, well, four times a year. I ran the day before so I could blow out everything else, and then the day of my, my PT test. Um, so anyways, he says though, he continues on, right. He says, that you should do as I've done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you, what? If you do them. When Marsha and I were saved, um, we, were, we took off for ourselves life verses, um, it's not necessarily my favorite verse per the the game. I'm not saying it's not my favorite verse, you know what I'm saying, but it's it, our life verse from James 1 verses 22 to 25. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. For whoever ever a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's For be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own self. For he who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, is like a man who beholds his face in the mirror or the glass. He beholds himself and goes his way, and straightway he forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to be blessed? Then obey. John's first epistle. <sighs> if you're doubting, I mean, if you got struggle, don't read it, okay? But for real, if you want to know if you're really real, read First John. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If you say you have fellowship with him and you walk in darkness, you lie and do not the truth. That's pretty strong. I didn't say it. He did. You want to say you're a believer, but you're walking in darkness? <laughs> it's not true. And you can deceive yourself. James chapter 1, verse 22. You can deceive yourself, but guess what? You're not deceiving God. He who says he knows him, John, 1 John chapter 2, he who says he knows him, ought himself also so to do the things that he's seen Jesus do. You ought to obey. And if you're not doing it, John says, you're a liar. Wow, that's pretty harsh. That's pretty strong words. Jesus said to his disciples, look, I have lived my life and now I've even given you a special act to demonstrate to you how you need to be other-focused. You need to think about others above because of your great love for them and because you know who you are and where you're going. And I promise you, if you know the love of God, (laughs) you know where you come from and you know where you're going, I don't know how you can't help but not Serve. And God promises, promises that he will bless your socks off. And it may not be here today, in the here and now. It may be only in the in eternal the, in, in, in realm. But I, honestly, I, I promise you, I, I've said this before, I don't feel like I've ever sacrificed for Jesus. I've gotten so much more than I've ever given up. And what Jim said, I think it was on Friday night, about the, the, the family, the houses, the lands, I mean, we've shared it in the past. When Marcia and I first got saved and we sent out letters and stuff like that, we were disowned. My brother disowned me for eight years. Marcia's mom wouldn't talk to her. That was hard. But you know what? God gave us a massive amount of family. And it was exciting. God's allowed us to see. My brother gets saved, and now he leads missions trips and stuff like that. It's really kind of exciting. I've allowed, allowed me to see my mom and dad. We're praying for Marcia's mom and for her, for her dad and his wife. And I believe that God will be faithful. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. I look forward to the day. My grandma got saved two weeks before she died. My God is faithful. And I'm not saying that that's, woo-hoo, look at Bob. But I believe he means what he says. I believe he means what he says. Do you believe that he means what he says? So, how are you at walking in the steps of Jesus? The steps of servanthood. Are you worrying more about what is mine, like the disciples, than the needs of others? What is your motivation in serving others? Is it to meet needs or to gain recognition? What is one way that you can begin, quote-unquote, washing the feet of others in the assembly? And then finally, as we close always, is there a need to change the way you think, metanoia, repent, and therefore change the way you act? I'm going to Close in prayer and then we have a, a special um, that we're going to share prior to um, communion. Father thank you for your love. thank you for loving me for loving us for loving the world before you ever made us and sending Jesus and Jesus, I thank you for coming for willingly coming to this earth knowing what you were going to experience. And it was for my benefit. But Lord, help me to constantly remember that it wasn't a propitiation for my sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That you desire for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And so you have given me this privilege, not just for me, not for my own self aggrandizement but Lord, that, that I might be able to serve others, that I might be your hands and feet to those who need to know about you. Lord, help me, help us to truly have a servant's heart, to minister to those who have needs within our assembly and even to those who are without. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.